This is the day the Lord has made. Thank you for joining us in worship today. We praise God for you and however you're listening. We pray the message you receive will allow you to strengthen your relationship in Christ and build his kingdom as we seek God, shape lives, and serve the world. What a wonderful time I had, at least, yesterday uh, as we sat in the basement and just talked about possibilities. And uh, before I even noticed it, uh, we had talked for four hours uh, about what God can do with us when we're open to all of the resources that he has provided to us. I have been blessed. Uh, Pastor Tillman uh, didn't tell it, and uh, I wish he would, because sometimes I get embarrassed saying it. Uh, but he mentioned having mentored uh, some young persons around the area of community organizing. And uh, he's really speaking about one specific person who came to my office and I thought he was a, a hungry beggar looking for a sandwich. But it turned out to be a young man fresh out of college who'd come to Chicago uh, to try to organize churches. Uh, and his name was Barack Obama. And uh, we became good friends uh, and uh, have had a 32-year history of working together uh, to change lives. Uh, and so out of that relationship uh, came the blessed opportunity for me uh, to have learned the ins and outs of some of the resources of our federal government, uh, really resources that are designed for local communities uh, that too often we are unaware of and because of that we don't take advantage of them. When he became president, uh, he offered me four different, I probably shouldn't say that with Deacon Gilmore in here, but they offered me four different jobs in the White House. And because I knew that my calling was not politics, but rather preaching, uh, I turned all four of them down. Uh, and simply asked him, what is it that you really need for me to do? And his words to me were, Rev, I, I want to take the resources of the federal government and put it on the ground where local communities can put their hands on it. And my reply to him was, I'm on the ground. And so if you just show me where it is, I will make the connections and get out of the way. And so for the last 10 years now, uh, I've been trying uh, to do just that. 
and so every now and then I make my way across the country sharing with churches and nonprofits about the resources that are available to them both in the private the public and the private sector uh, to enhance their ministry and the work that our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to do. And so it, it was a joy to have Pastor Tillman show up at one of our trainings uh, in Jackson, uh, Mississippi. As a matter of fact, it was in Minneapolis when he first came to one of our trainings and then to invite us to come this weekend and uh, to share some ideas and some thoughts with you. I'm looking forward to what God is really going to do and what he can do uh, when the people of God get together and uh, use what God has given them uh, in order to affect the change that is necessary in both the church, the community in which it resides, and in the world at large. Which really brings me to the text that I want to share with you this morning. It, you've heard it several times uh, today and, and may be wondering you know what what this what is this all about it doesn't seem to have a beginning or an end uh, wondering what the connection is you stay with me for a few minutes I will try to show you the connection I do want you to know that that uh, from my point of view preaching is like avionics some aircraft, like 747s, need long runways. And some need short runways. And I've discovered that sometimes in churches, folk look at the preacher and automatically assume that it's going to be a long runway. And they say, well, we may as well go and take that nap real quick and catch him when he gets ready to land. Well, I want you to know this morning that I'm not a 747. Matter of fact, I'm not even a crop duster. I'm a helicopter. I go right up, say what I got to say, and get right down. Amen. And, and so if you're waiting on me uh, for that, to make that circle around and land, uh, you, you, will, you will have missed the whole sermon. Amen. Amen. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse number 11, you will find these words that I'd like to read in your hearing again. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
for a few moments this morning, I, I want to talk about a serious look at the church. A serious look at the church. Spirit of the living God, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Break us, meld us, and mold us after thy will. Then use us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 11, verse 11, is a verse in transition. It is, it's a verse that stands between Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and uh, his eventual arrest and crucifixion in Jerusalem. It, it actually records, it's the, it's the only record, really, of the activity of Jesus after he came in, riding into that city to the praises of all the folks in town who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. After all of the commotion, after all of the celebration, after even Jesus saying to, to those uh, Pharisees who wanted him to keep his disciples quiet, if these hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. Mark records uh, the one action that Jesus made that day. He says, he went to the temple, took a look around, and went out. You didn't get it. He went into the temple, looked around at everything, and then went out. No mention of worship. No mention of praise. No reading of the scripture saying today this is fulfilled in your ears. Not even any conversation with the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees. He went into the church, looked around at everything and went out. Can I suggest this morning that, that that's a serious issue to be said that Jesus came to the church, went in, looked around, and then left. Don't we really want him to stay? 
when he shows up at church, I, you know, I pastor First Baptist Church too, and every now and then the choir goes to sing and dwell in me, Lord Jesus. I have need of it. We, we want him to come in to this space, to linger with us, to hover over us, to fill us with his spirit. And the sad truth is that sometimes Jesus comes in, looks around, and walks out. That, that really makes me ask this, uh, what I consider to be very poignant question is, what, what is it about the church that would cause our Lord Jesus Christ to go in the church, look around the church, and then make up his mind that my next move is to leave. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we can understand it sometimes when, when other folk come in, look around, and go out. Maybe our worship just doesn't meet their taste, so they come in, look around, and go out. Maybe, maybe they don't like the way uh, uh, the, the church is appointed, so they may come in and look around and go out. Sometimes the air is too cold or the heat is too hot. They come in, look around, and go out. They don't like the kind of music, and they come in, look around, and go out. But, but this isn't just anybody we're talking about. This is Jesus who said, upon this rock I will build my church. And he walked in, looked around, and walked out. Can I, can I just suggest a, a few things that, that I think uh, the context of this passage suggests may have caused Jesus to come in, look around, and go out. The, the Bible suggests that 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 he, after he he left, he went to Bethany overnight and got up the next morning, wanted something to eat, and saw a barren fig tree. Uh, it, it had leaves that looked like it ought to have fruit, but what he saw there was an empty barren tree and so he cursed the tree and said you're not going to bear any fruit anymore and the bible says he went back into the church and then he turned over tables and ran folk out of there must have been something that he saw that made him come in look around and go out well, the unfortunate reality today is that, that sometimes the Lord does it to us. He looks at our church or he looks at our lives, comes in, looks around, and then leaves. Well, what do, you, what do you make of this, Alvin Love? Why would Jesus do it? Well, I want to suggest 
that, that first of all, I believe he left after surveying everything that he saw because he, he realized that the church had replaced the glory of God for the glitter of man. <laughs> it, it, it had replaced the glory of God. Uh, the late Dr. D.E. King says, for the glitter of man. The, the, the church was supposed to be the place where God got all of the glory. But when he looked around, he saw priests and scribes and Pharisees who were claiming God's glory for themselves. They, they, they say, if you want to know how to behave, follow a Pharisee. You, you don't need to, to know what the word of God says. Just do what the Pharisee does and, and you'll be all right when it comes to church. But, but listen, that may be fine when it comes to church. But churchianity is not the same as Christianity. And if your religion is all churchianity, he comes in, looks around, and goes out. The, the temple, the temple was, was a glorious place. It was a beautifully appointed uh, place. The, the outer court, the inner court, the place of worship. But, but their focus was not on God. It was on upkeep of the accoutrements. If I could say it like that, amen. It, they, they were more concerned about the facade than they were about the faithful. And the Lord said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You, you remember, you, you, in the Old Testament, there's, there's, a, there's a corresponding uh, illustration of this uh, and it's, it's in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 where, where Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up now if you're really a Bible reader you understand that that, that, that day is not the first day that Isaiah came into the temple he was, in fact, the temple priest, which meant that he came into church every single day. But his focus was on Isaiah and not on God. And it wasn't until Isaiah died that he began to see the glory of the Lord. I think sometimes God, God has to take some stuff out of our vision. 
It has to take some stuff out of our everyday uh, uh, habitual activity so that our attention will be turned to him. Because the glitter of man does nothing for the condition of man. If we want change in our lives, what we really must see for ourselves is the glory of God. Isaiah said this way, he said, listen, I saw him high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. There were angels everywhere that, uh, that had six wings, two they flew with, two covered their faces from the glory of God, and, and with two they did fly. And, and when I looked at all of this, I said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling amidst the people of unclean lips. And it was then that the angel took a tongue and grabbed a coal of fire from the altar of God, placed it on my lips, and when I changed my focus to the glory of God, I said, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go. Uh, the first place that Jesus goes is to the church. But he doesn't really like what he sees. Uh, church settling for the beauty of the building, for the structure of the order of worship, for the professionalism of its staff, that's all good. But in the temple, the attention must go to God. God must get all of the glory. And so he came in, looked around, and went out because they substituted the glitter of man for the glory of God. <laughs> Second thing I see in the text is, is not only did they substitute the glitter of man for the glory of God, but they also substituted religion for relationship. The, the, the Pharisees uh, were not uh, satisfied with Ten Commandments. Hey, can, can I just let you in on a little secret here? That the Lord gave us Ten Commandments, and, and folk look at, look at the ten and say, Lord, I'm trying to do all of that stuff. I don't know if I'm going to make it trying to do those ten. But, but really, he reduced, he really says, listen, you only got ten things you can't do. As opposed to the unlimited things in life that I enable you to do when your faith and your focus are on me. But even then, they were not satisfied with just ten. So the Pharisees said, you know, they, they, they took the Ten Commandments and they expounded on them. And they, they, they expanded them to 613 different commandments in the Bible. All right. Just, just one example. There's, there's a line in the Torah that, that says, you know, of course, the Ten Commandments says that you ought not work on the Sabbath day. And so somebody asked the question, what is work? And so the Torah says, well, if you carry, if a man carries a loaf of bread under his arm six days a week, then if he gets somebody else to help him carry the same loaf on the Sabbath, it's not work. 
And, and so the 613 different uh, uh, rules and regulations, they, they separated uh, uh, the priests from the people. That's really why I'm a Baptist, because there is no separation between believers, between the, the pew and the pulpit. We are all God's children. And so it's not about uh, subscribing to the rules and regulations of the bylaws and the constitution to all of the outside things. It really boils down to what is your relationship with God. And Jesus said, how can you say you love me when you hate your brother? Amen. He, he looked around and saw some folks on the outside court and some on the inner court. He, he, he saw some uh, getting, uh, getting lambs without spot or wrinkle, but he saw some others being sold lambs with broken legs. He, he, he saw some who had turtle doves and tea cakes and, and there's all of this division among the people of God and when he looked and saw that they were more concerned about their religion than they were about their relationship with God, he looked around and he went out. Jesus himself says, listen, don't you remember? I'm the guy that ate with publicans and sinners. Uh, amen. I, I'm the one whose disciples ate corn as they walked along the road and did not wash their hands. I, I'm, I'm the one that allowed the woman with the issue of blood who really shouldn't have been anywhere near me touch the hem of my garment. I'm the one who, who stopped on the roadside and, and visited with lepers. Because our relationship is more important than our religion. Now, I'm not talking about your faith. Amen. But your religion. Your religion is, is, is that structure that you, you put your hope and things into uh, when it is void of the real heart and the core of its being. So he went in. Took a look around. And went back out. I ain't gonna hold you long. I got one more point and I'm out of here. Jesus went to church, <clears throat> went inside, looked at everything. That 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 verse really means he made a comprehensive research of everything that he saw, and based on that, he turned around and went out because they replaced the glory of God for the glitter of man. They substituted religion for relationship. But then finally, he went out because he saw them exchanging uh, the sacrificial for the artificial. You know, we live in an age today where folks settle for surface artificial faith sing the right song I can't get happy until amen if the, if the organ doesn't kick in or the, or, the, or the guitar doesn't bump 
then, then uh, I, you know, I can't really have church. I can't really be faithful. I can't, I can't worship him unless there's a certain environment that's been created just for me. But really, when you think about how good God has been to you, you really ought not need any outside stimulation to, to get you ready for worship. Amen. Amen. I had a friend of mine say, listen, I don't need anybody else to, to get me happy. All I, I can just start thinking about what God has done for me and get happy all by myself when I think of the goodness of God and all that has done for me. My soul cries out. Hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. They, they settled, they exchanged the sacrificial for the artificial. Can you hear Jesus saying to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus expects to see his father glorified when he comes to the church. He expects to see his people edified when he comes to the church. I know we may be overwhelmed sometimes with uh, secular projects. We can, we can be overly engaged in worldly competition rather than Christian collaboration. We, we, we got so many big prophets sometimes. Uh, you know, you got to get through 45 armor bearers just to shake the preacher's hand. Uh, God wants us to be in fellowship one with the other. Entertainment is more valued than edification. Jesus looked at the church. He said, I really don't see the same thing that I came to die for. Because they have exchanged the glory of God for the glitter of man. Uh, I'm really beginning to wonder if I want to go through with all of this because they've replaced relationship for religion. They've settled for the artificial instead of the sacrificial. So the Bible says he went in, looked around, and went out. But I'm glad today that that's not the end of this chapter. Neither is it the end of the story. If you go on and read through the rest of chapter 11, you'll discover again that after he spent the night in Bethany, he came back to the church and he began to turn over the tables and run the money changers out of the house. What that really says to me is that the Lord had already demonstrated by the cursing of the fig tree 
that he expects some production from his people. And so, because he saw none on the day before, he decided to go back and make a change in the church. I tell you today, I'm glad that the Lord didn't walk out and never come in again. But the very next day, he made his way back to the church house. Can I just take a little sidelight before I hurry on to a close? Maybe that's a good example for some of us as people. Just because you didn't get your way the last time you walked in. Don't decide that you ain't never going to darken the door again with your presence. But come on back the next time. You may discover that either God will change the circumstances or that God will change you so that you are able to handle the circumstance. And so the very next day, Jesus comes back into the church. There he runs the money changes out. He turns over the tables and then he makes his way from there up to Calvary. <laughs> what that really says to me is that Jesus decided that the church was really worth dying for. I don't know how you feel about it today, but I'm glad that he made up his mind that in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my settling for glitter over glory, for religion over relationship, for the artificial over sacrificial, he still thought that I was worth giving his life for. And so even though he went in, looked around and walked out, he went on up to Calvary's tree, hung, bled, and died for your sin and mine. Yeah, it really says that he thought that I was worth dying for. So he came back to the church. Thank God today that he came back just when I needed him. He came back when I was falling short. He came back when I lost my life. He came back when I was in my tormented state. The Lord came back. I don't know how you feel about it today, but I'm glad that the Lord thought that I was worth dying for. So he went on to Calvary, hung his head in the locks of his shoulders, hung, bled, and died. They buried him in a borrowed grave. He stayed there all night Friday. Stayed there all day Saturday. Stayed there all night Saturday night. But early Sunday morning, he came back. He got up with all power in his hand. I don't know. I don't know why Jesus loves me. I don't know why he cares. I don't know why he sacrificed his life for me. But I'm glad 
I said, I'm glad. Is there anybody else here? Are you glad? So glad. So glad that he did. He went in. Looked around. And walked out. But thank God. He came back. And I'm still waiting and looking and hoping that one of these days he's going to come back. And when he comes back, I'm going to be with him. Don't you want to be with him today? Is there anybody here that wants to be with him when he comes back? If you do, you, you need to know him as Savior and Lord. Give him your life. Honor his glory. Build a relationship with him. And then sacrifice and honor his sacrifice. And he will own you as his own. God, our Father, we thank you today for the privilege of preaching. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. And we ask, oh God, that when we err, when we stray, when you look at our lives and really feel like you ought to be someplace else, that you come back and own us as your children. We pray for the sinner and ask that you would save them today, that they too might know the joy of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it all. Amen. Remain connected to us as we build God's kingdom together. Join us on Facebook at the historic First African Baptist Church and our website, firstafricanbc.com. You may also contribute through an app called Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y. May God bless you and thank you for worshiping with us.